we never heard of him before. And suddenly he just appears. We know nothing about this man. We want to ask questions. Where did he go to seminary? Did he have a wife? Did he have kids? You know, how did he become a prophet? But God suppresses those details. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, a daily walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are looking at the prophet Elijah, a righteous man, a man of great faith and of great spiritual strength. We've seen God's call on Elijah in 1 Kings 17 to deliver a sobering message to King Ahab. This prophecy of three years of drought would in most cases cause the messenger to be killed. But Elijah is an obedient servant. And as we pick up, we see God is faithful to protect Elijah. Let's rejoin Dr. Brogy as he begins reading from verse four. It shall be that you will drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. Elijah is about to experience God's unique catering service. Look at verses five and six. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. Now these verses remind me that God's direction includes God's provision. God says, go to the brook, and I'm going to provide for you there. God never gives you a command in which he will not give you the means in which to fulfill that command. We often say God's work done in God's way never lacks God's support. I remember when I was a student at Dallas Seminary and Dr. Walford was in his 50th year. My first year was his last year as the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And he recounted a story that took place in 1924 when Lewis Sperry Chafer, the first president, was in dire straits and the seminary had almost capitulated. It had come to the point of bankruptcy and it was to foreclose at noon that day. And so several of the men met with Dr. Chafer and they began to pray. And in that meeting was Dr. Harry Ironside. And if you've ever read some of his sermons or heard them, there's a few audio recordings that are left. He was probably one of the greatest expositors in the first half of the 20th century. And he prayed in his characteristically refreshing way, Lord, you know what our needs are. You said in your word that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Please sell some of those cattle and send us the money. And while they're praying, a Texas cattleman came into the office and this man wanted to see Dr. Chafer and she said, well, he's in a prayer meeting right now. He said, well, you know, I'm a cattleman and I've had two large loads of cattle in Fort Worth and I've been trying to make a business deal with the profit I just made on those two loads I sold last week and I can't seem to do anything with it and I just thought this morning God is compelling me to come and, and to bring the money to Dallas Seminary. Here's the check. And she timidly knocked on the door to interrupt that meeting and finally, Dr. Chafer answered the door and hand, she handed him the check and he immediately knew the name of this famous cattleman. He said, and by the way, it was for the exact amount they needed. And this man had absolutely no idea of the need, even the straits that they were in. And Dr. Chafer said, Harry, God just sold some of his cattle. <laughs> 
That was God's miraculous provision. And I believe that God is providing for this church. And he is giving us an impact here and around the world by his sovereign, omnipotent grace because we are obeying what we know. And here is Elijah. He obeys what he knows, and God brings him to this brook where he provides for his needs. And I happen to believe that if we will be faithful and obey what we know, that God will provide for our needs. Elijah, go hide yourself. It was a mark of God's protection. It was a mark of God's provision. But also his concealment was the means to God's pathway. His concealment was the means to God's pathway. Look now, if you will, at verses 5 and 6. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. Now, the liberal critics who always tried to write out the miracles in the Bible say that the Hebrew word for, for ravens, uh, arev, uh, they said maybe it was just miswritten and it should be the word that's very closely related for Arab. Now, that's a slick way in which to tinker with the text, but it won't fly, no pun intended. The liberals always want to manipulate the Scripture as to what God has plainly said. But this was a miracle, and the miracle was not that an Arab fed a Jew, though I suppose that might be a miracle in some instances. The miracle was that God provided both drink and food for his prophet at this brook. Now, here's Baal. He is unable to cause one stalk of grain to grow. He is unable to provide one drop of rain. But God gives his prophet plenty to eat and to drink. He gives him meat and bread. Listen, God is the creator of the universe. And the reason the most attacked book in all the Bible is Barashit is because people want to say that what took place in Genesis didn't really take place. But if you can believe Genesis 1-1, then you can believe 1 Kings 17. And what I find so fascinating is that, fascinating is that God delivered through these birds both meat and bread, no vegetables, thank you very much. He used a raven, which by the way was considered an unclean animal. And I suppose that Elijah would be reminded of that twice a day, that God could use an unclean, unworthy thing, a raven, a non-kosher bird, to accomplish his purposes. And Elijah, if he at times might have felt tempted to think he was unworthy, all God would have had to have done was remind him of those birds. But the main reason God has him here at this brook is God wants to give him some new direction. God wants to give him some new information, some new insight that he could only get at this quiet brook. See, Elijah has been out there ministering for God. God sends him to this wicked king to preach a sermon and then God says, go hide yourself at a brook. Why? Because he needed to have his spiritual batteries recharged. Think about all that led up to that sermon. He knew that he was going into the presence of a king who could take his life. And so he sought God. He was on his face before God. 
And I'm sure even after that short sermon, though we may only have obviously a line or two, he was exhausted. Lord, you want me to go to a brook and hide myself? Yes. And that's what God wants some of us to do. See, it's easy to go show yourself. It's quite another thing to go hide yourself. There are many that maybe are listening and live streaming this morning where God is saying, listen, go hide yourself. That's a difficult assignment in a busy world to slow down, to be still, to have time with God. But you show me an individual who's effective in public and I will show you a person who is efficient in his private life. The only way you can communicate to a lost world is when you first commune in the presence of God where you linger in his presence unrushed. I've never met a Christian who sat down and planned to live a mediocre life. But many believers are living mediocre lives because they're living unexamined lives. Lives where their minds are not being renewed through the study of Scripture and through prayer. Now as we close, let me share three applications that come to the surface of my mind so that we might be men and women that will trust God in difficult times because we're living in difficult times. Number one, if I am to believe God, then I must trust that he is sovereign over evil. I don't know if it struck you, but it jumped off the pages of Scripture to me, just the suddenness of Elijah's appearance. Now, Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. Now, as you read 1 Kings 16, it appears that everything is capitulating to Baal that hell is having a holiday, that evil is winning. And then suddenly, we're standing, listening to this prophet whose name means, my God is Yahweh. Now, typically, when a prophet is mentioned in Scripture, he's given some kind of, you know, background. There's a more deliberate approach. Now, there was a certain prophet, Elijah by name, who was the son of so-and-so, and he came to Ahab, who had been worshiping Baal, and, and the Lord gave him a word, and he said, go, arise, and preach to Ahab. But God doesn't do any of that. He just suddenly comes. Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. We never heard of him before, and suddenly he just appears. We know nothing about this man. We want to ask questions. Where did he go to seminary? Did he have a wife? Did he have kids? You know, how did he become a prophet? But God suppresses those details. Because I think, among other things, he wants to remind us that he is sovereign over evil. He suddenly appears when the world is in despair because God is over this world. And we can be sure that absolutely nothing ever happens apart from God's notice. God is working often in the background in ways you don't see. And then suddenly, without notice, you see God's answer. It may be a man or a woman that God raises up from nowhere. Or it may ultimately be when God brings his son back from heaven. But understand when evil seems to be flourishing it's only a superficial flourish because our God is sovereign. God's not up in heaven this morning wringing his hands over the reprobate behavior that is beginning to sweep this world. There's never an emergency meeting of the Holy Trinity. 
God is in total control, and you can be sure that his plan, his movement, his person, and ultimately his son in the end will win. It appeared in Elijah's day that Satan was winning. But God is in control. He is sovereign over all even evil. Secondly, I'm reminded, if I am to believe God, then I must trust he is sovereign in his ways, that God is sovereign in his ways. It's marvelous to see how God provides for his servant Elijah by sending ravens. We'll see next time by a widow in a place called Zarephath. Why doesn't God provide for his other prophets in that way? When we come to the 18th chapter, we're going to find many of them who are martyred for their faith by Jezebel's hand. And still others who are hidden in caves in groups of 50 who are sustained by one of God's brave servants with bread and water only. Yet most of us would rather identify with Elijah. Yes, I'm a believer. I'm a servant like Elijah. And I can expect God to provide for me the way he provided for Elijah. And we want to identify with him rather than those persecuted prophets who are fleeing, who are hiding, who only get bread and water, and Elijah gets water, bread, and meat. So how are we to understand the way God provided for Elijah and the way he provided for the other 7,000 prophets who were still alive? You said, Pastor, God's work done in God's way never lacks God's support. That's true. I believe that with all my heart. Well, you seem to be contradicting yourself. Not at all. God never promises that his people will be totally sheltered from disaster or evil or even at times from famine. Paul said, I know what it's like to live in plenty and I know what it's like to live with little. You say, well, is there any comfort in the way God provided for Elijah for my own life because I'm a follower of the Messiah? Yes, there is, but not as the prosperity theologians would have you to believe. They would have you to believe that God wants to supernaturally supply, and Elijah had a supernatural supply as one of them preached, and the others didn't because he had greater faith. Nothing could be further from the truth. Were they less blessed? Were they less righteous? Were they less faithful? Scores of them had given their lives for the cause. But shysters like Joel Olstein and Benny Hinn and Creflo Dollar and Kenneth Copeland and Jim Baker, they might tell you, well, Elijah had greater faith. And by the way, where are all these faith healers in the time of this virus? I don't see any of them around right now. No, these 7,000 men were right in the middle of God's will Paul said, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Yes, God will provide, but not always the way we might think. Isaiah writes, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God allowed some to be provided for in a cave, He allowed others to die by the hand of Jezebel. Why? Because their service was over. George Whitfield, the great evangelist of a couple hundred years ago, said the worker is immortal until God is finished with him. And there comes a time when God is finished with us. 
and it's time to go home. And sometimes he takes the servant home even through persecution and batting because his ways are not our ways. That doesn't preach. That doesn't fill churches. That doesn't pack stadiums. No, it doesn't. But it's the truth. It's what God has revealed in his word. Third and finally, if I am to believe God, then I must trust that he is sovereign in my trials. Now, we didn't examine verse 7, so let's look at it now. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Everything was fine until one day the brook began to run slower, then it began to trickle, and then it began to puddle, and then it dried up. I mean, what a revolting development. What are you doing, God? God knew exactly what he was doing because he is not simply interested in launching you into the realm of justification. God is also interested in providing for you and growing you in the realm of sanctification. When you are justified, you are declared righteous in the sight of God as as declared as holy as God himself is. He gives you the righteousness of God in Christ. But now he wants to make you holy in your experience. And sometimes God uses drying or even a dried up brook in which to accomplish it. Had Elijah, I mean, was he being punished for what he did? He's right in the center of God's will. He's obeying God. He's fervently praying that it might not rain. And now he's at a drying brook. And now all the water's gone. And some of you listening to me, you're at dried up brooks today. It might be sickness, it might be the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a job, the loss of friends. Maybe you had to move and your church is gone that you once loved and the people whom you cherished are so far away. I remember really our first dried up brook as a relatively newly married couple. We were home missionaries working in a campus ministry and we're headed for seminary from Duke University to Dallas. And God sold our home in one day without a real estate agent and we made a huge profit. And then he graciously provided for us with a brand new home never lived in and all the funds that we needed to move and then to begin seminary. We moved across the country, and no sooner was I up to my eyeballs in New Testament Greek when a thyroid tumor develops in my wife's neck. And the endocrinologist suspects that it could be cancerous, but because she's in the midst of a pregnancy, the kind of tests that he wants to do and the surgery to remove it, he doesn't want to endanger our baby. And then while she's pregnant with our third child, Grace Anna, six months into the pregnancy, she begins to have problems and she is confined to total bed rest. During the same time, our son Jeremy develops a large inflamed lump in his leg and he's initially uh, diagnosed with muscular dystrophy there at Children's Hospital in Dallas. Now top it off, I wrecked the car twice in the course of two weeks. One of my relatives said, are you sure that God has called you to go to seminary? Are you sure you are in God's will? I knew I was right in the center of God's will. And I knew that though our brook had dried up, 
that God wanted to use the trials and the circumstances to shape our lives as much as the courses that I was enrolled in. Since then, we've faced many dried up brooks in our life, but they're all part of the shaping process. And some of you who are listening to me this morning, you're at a dried up brook. At one time, you were at a time of great blessing financially, but now it's changed. Your business is failing. Maybe there was a time when you could use your voice for the Lord. Maybe you were a deacon or an elder in your church or had some special ministry, but your brook has dried up. Your brook dries up, but only through the hand of an all-sovereign God. Why does God let our brooks dry up? Sometimes because he wants to teach us to trust him and not just in our gifts and our bank accounts and our abilities. Sometimes he wants to demonstrate to an unbelieving world that we love him and serve him, not just because of what he does for us, but because of who he is, like he did with Job. Elijah may have needed to learn that God who gives the water can take the water away. Job says, blessed be the Lord who gives, who takes it away. We tend to think that once God gives the water, he should never retract it. That once God gives a mate, he should never take that mate away. That once God gives a child, he should never remove that child. Once God gives us a good business, he should never let it fail. That once God gives us a particular ministry, he should never stop it. And then the brook dries up. And we need to be able to say with Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now you might be asking this morning, Lord, what happened? What's going on in my life? And God says, I'm just answering your prayer. You ever pray, Lord, make me more like Jesus Christ? God says, I'm gonna answer that prayer. I mean, Elijah might have thought, God, why are you drying up this brook? And then maybe it dawned on the prophet, Elijah, that is exactly what you prayed for. And I'm answering it. God knows what he is doing. God knows what he is about. Over 80 years ago, Amy Carmichael, she served, by the way, as a missionary in India for 55 years. She served kids. She loved kids. You see people who love kids, you have someone who is much like Jesus Christ. You see people who are irritated by kids and bothered by kids. You see a person who is very much unlike Jesus Christ. She served in India. They called Amy Amma, which is in that particular section of India was the name for mom. And from her own life experiences, having served there 55 years, she said when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects, how he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him, how God bends but never breaks, when his good he understands, how he uses whom he chooses, and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he is about. God knew what he was doing with Elijah, and God knows what he's doing with you today. 
Now, if you are listening to me, and you have never met Christ, unlike for the true child of God, your trials are just trials. But the promises of trials being used by God to shape us and to form us and to mature us and to make us more godly is a promise for the one who's been born from above. Listen, you can't even begin to grow spiritually and to change spiritually until you've been born spiritually. And Jesus said, unless you are born twice, you'll never see, you'll never understand, and you will never ever enter God's kingdom. You can't earn it, you can't achieve it, you can't merit it, because the penalty is death, and so a substitute paid it for you on a cross because the life is in the blood, and so without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, and there's only one who walked on this earth with sinless, innocent blood, and his name is Yeshua. Jesus died in your place, and he proved he was sinless, that death could not hold him in the grave when he was resurrected from the dead. And if you will call on his name today in faith, believing that God will do precisely what he said, whoever will call on Jesus' name, I will save right now, instantly. In one moment, you can be saved if you want to be. So I invite you to be on God's behalf as if God were entreating through me. I beg you to be reconciled to God. Now, our Father, we thank you for the prophet Elijah. Thank you that we're going to have a chance to study him the next couple of months. And we pray that as we read of this portion of Scripture that you've gave, given us, that we would not just become smarter sinners, but that we would become more like Christ. I know many are, are listening to me, some who have lost loved ones by this virus in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world. And they are heartbroken. Some who have lost their businesses some who want to work but they can't work and they're struggling in so many different ways. But we thank you that you meet us at dried up brooks. And I pray today, Father, for someone listening who has never received your forgiveness, that they might call upon Jesus, that they would say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner who deserves judgment. But I thank you that you took my judgment for me you proved your ability when you were raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, come and forgive my sin and change me and make me to be the kind of person you want me to be. Now, Father, help someone today to do that, to say, Lord Jesus, save me. We know, Father, the clock will someday run out. May we not miss this heightened warning that you are sending across the world. We ask it in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. To listen again to today's introduction to our character study of the prophet Elijah, use the Search the Scriptures app for mobile devices or on your desktop browser, navigate to searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program ELI-1. Things are looking better and better for our fall trip to Israel. The Israeli government has inoculated almost two-thirds of their population against the COVID-19 virus, and plans are in the works to reopen tourism in the Holy Land. 
If you'd like to join us for an 11-day trip to the Middle East, we'll be offering two separate excursions in late September and early October. Join Dr. Brogy as he helps bring the Bible alive as fellow travelers walk through many of the places occupied by King David, Moses, the Apostles, and of course, Jesus himself. All the details are online at stsisraeltour.com. Tomorrow we begin a look at the faith of Elijah as we continue our biographical series on this great prophet. Join us then as we search the scriptures.